Trash Cinema. Hey everybody, it's Trash Cinema, and it's part one of our double feature of Canon Glory. We're going to discuss Charles Bronson, The Canon Years. Our next episode will be Chuck Norris, The Canon Years. Chuck versus Chuck, which was my co-host Kent's idea. What did you call it? The Tale of Two Chucks? The Tale of Two Chucks. <laughs> it's Boy, Canon Pictures really relied on these two more than anybody else. They did have Dudikoff in their, uh, their catalog. Did they have any other stars? Besides those three? Uh, no, you had the two Chucks. You had Dudikoff. You had... Hmm, I, th I think I, th I think they were hoping Van, Van Damme... Would stick around. That's right. I forgot that he yeah, basically launched with them. Yeah, and then they, they, tried, think, to, they yeah. tried to get... Uh, what's his face? Uh, Jeff Speakman. Yeah. Yeah. And I, just, I think... I think I think Menachem would have loved to have got Sylvester Stallone on board for a few more pitches, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, he was really expensive, though, because what, they get him for $12 million for Over the Top and Cobra? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, let's not forget, too, Charles Bronson got one. I mean, $1.5 million doesn't sound like a lot of money, but to Charles Bronson, you know, where Charles Bronson came from, as far as how much money they used to make, Getting $1.5 million alone just to do Death Wish 2 was um, was, a, was quite a big deal yeah, at, it's, at that time. It's perfect that you bring that up because that's where it all began. If you look at Charles Bronson's career in the late 70s is when it started to fall apart. MGM didn't seem to want to – well, was it MGM or United Artists that he had to deal with? Uh, I, I want to say United Artists. Yeah. yeah, I think it's UA. Well, they yeah. kind of washed their hands of them. I know ITC tried a few movies with them, and it was just getting pretty bad. Even though I say Death Hunt, the movie he did right before Death Wish 2, is one of his best. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Hands down. Totally. Totally, totally. Yeah. Most of these companies <clears throat> yeah, there was... were international companies, and I think that's why they kept pushing him, because he would do better overseas. Right, sure. Yeah, and I mean, um, movies also like, I mean, 10 to Midnight. Um, I know it wasn't a canon film, but I love the no, evil it is. that men do. Oh, it is. It's, it's a canon picture. What, the evil that men do? Oh, I thought, I'm sorry. I think, said, I think you said 10 to Midnight. You are correct. I, um, um, yeah. Evil that men do is the last yeah, of this ITC deal. Yeah, that was, I mean, <laughs> man... Um, every time I think of that movie now, I think about that line from Beverly Hills Ninja. He goes, <laughs> keep practicing, Joey, and one day you will choke that chicken. Okay. And you uh, know, and fans, fans know the scene I'm talking about where he grabs that Mexican dude by the pecker and squeezes the shit out of his dick while he's choking him with his foot. Yeah, that's a rough one for me. And, and he made a few exploitation films, like full on exploitation films. But Evil That Men oh, Do is the one that's hardest for me to take. Yeah, that's um, <laughs> that's got to be the best. Like, how do you get a dude on the floor? Like, sort of scene. <laughs> I mean, like, God, yeah. he's just there, like, writhing in pain. So, so cool. Death Wish Two basically revives the Vigilante movie, which had faded away for a few years. It brought Charles Bronson back. It made Canon Pictures, you know, a company to finally deal with, and. I think it's one of the weaker entries. I, I, I don't enjoy it as much because it is full-on exploitation. It makes me feel bad. It, it feels filthy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the, I mean, the longer 
the longer these series go on, especially canon pitches when they're doing sequels, they just get progressively more stupid. And, of course, anyone who's seen um, uh, the wonderful documentary uh, Electric Boogaloo um, knows that in the end, when it came to, like, three, four... um, By that point, Charles Bronson was, like... He had a Rolls-Royce or something to drive him the 20 feet from his trailer to the the set or something like that, you know. Um, He had a stuntman... I mean, there's there's a classic scene where there's a stuntman that throws a bag of garbage because they couldn't get insurance for for Chuck to uh, just throw a bag of garbage at a car that narrowly misses him. Um, But not... I mean more wider than narrowly because, I mean, he, the, the name of the game wasn't to really hit him, was just to scare him, but, and hence the reason why he threw his bag full of groceries at the car. So, I mean, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he, he probably could. I think I think Chuck probably could have done that shot himself. I really don't think that needed to stunt, man. But, um, no, I mean, there's tons of good stuff. I was, I was a big fan of uh, Borderline. I really like Borderline. Yeah, I don't... No, that's, 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 that's the one that came out right at the same time as Jack Nicholson's The Border, right? That's right, yeah. I think Bruno Kirby's in it. That one actually is decent. It's the one after that. I was trying to watch Cabo Blanco, and it's one of the last Charles Bronson movies I hadn't seen. I couldn't finish it. I was so bored. Yeah, yeah. No, I've, I've, I've only watched it like twice in my life, and both those times in pieces, not in one sitting at all. Because, um, yeah, just... Just doesn't move, no. you know. It's well, I think, I when think, movies don't move, yeah. Yeah, I think Canon Pictures perfected the formula. Yeah, they're stupid, but they're never boring. And that's true. They're fun. They're fun. Like I mean, we've we've said this a whole bunch of times. Yeah, Canon movies are all about, you know. I mean, they had so much fun making movies, and it really shows. Um, and it and it does come off. I mean, when you look at some of the stuff today. Um, for instance, the Bruce Willis uh, Death Wish. Um, you know, it, the action the action is very plausible. I like to think that Canon kind of went on to, like, instead of, like, you know, it's Charles Bronson with a rocket launcher, you know, it's something ridiculous. It's almost like, it's almost like a, uh, a, if, if, if Canon and the, the Asylum that do, like, the Sharknado movies. Yeah, yeah. Were, were a man and a woman, and they had passionate, passionate sex. Then, then this, you know, you, there's almost like a, another realm where these kinds of ideas came out of the the love making of that sort of thing. Because, like, hey, he was he was bad with a forty five. That was now surprising when it blew back on him and tore up his hand. That was actually a surprise in the movie. Mm-hmm. Totally. I, I give it to totally. I don't give it to Eli Roth though for that being an okay movie. I give it to Joe Carnahan. He's the one who wrote a good script. But the yeah. problem is, is that you know how the Death Wish movies always have an otherworldly feel about it. Maybe it's because we we're you know born after a lot of it. Like the first one, yeah. it's like the sludge of New York, which we've never been alive to experience. Two, the crazy punk new wave vibe of Part Two. Three, it's shot in London, pretending to be what St. Louis. Um, yeah, yeah. Those first three have an otherworldly feel, and it's four. 
I think it's probably closest to the way the Bruce Willis movies filmed. It, it just looks very gray. It looks like it's shot in Vancouver, which it probably was. And yeah. it's not cartoonish, which I give it credit for because I think the mainstream audience can connect to it more, but it's not memorable. Like, I only remember the very yeah. last minute or two of the, the new Death Wish. Yeah, yeah. No, it's not um, – it doesn't – it doesn't. It doesn't have very much endurance, uh, but you know, by the same token, like you have by that point. I mean, people today, people today, really don't know. Um, well, they look at Charles Bronson now as quaint, right? He's he's an old timey sort of. Uh, actor, right? And and when they think about him, they don't really think about so much the Death Wish era. They think about the Charles Bronson who was in The Great Escape, or the Charles Bronson who was one, uh, Harmonica and Once Upon a Time right, in the yeah, West, right? Yeah, which is probably well, his finest of, movie, I think. Yeah. yeah, or they think about Charles Bronson in he was one of the Magnificent Seven, right? Um, so this this era that we're talking about right here is kind of like. Like Charles Bronson, for a lot of people, really did peter away after he stopped making those. You know, as he got older, and was making action movies and uh, the Death Wish movies, and um, and then finally uh, the Indian Runner. But uh, it's like I still have. I'm, I'm very proud to say, and uh, I on my desk of Kinjite Forbidden Subjects, <laughs> um, which which. Don't I mean I I, I I don't know what it is about that movie or Charles Bronson in that movie, but for me that's like that's like Charles Bronson at his best in that movie, right? Yeah, you know what's funny is those uh, those last couple of his uh what's the one Min- not Ministry of Vengeance what's the one um, Messenger of Death and Kinjite are actually yes. really good. Because it focuses yeah. differently. They know he can't do as much action. And it was also when Canon was starting to lose money. So they start focusing yeah. on the plot and the characters. And I actually think those are two really solid procedurals. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like in some strange, different ultimate multiverse. Um, wouldn't you love to have seen, like, Charles Bronson and Wesley Snipes do, like, Rising Sun? <laughs> yes. Um, you know, f- fuck, that would have been so cool. Like, uh, uh, like a... Even if even if Charles Bronson had lived to make that movie somehow, right? And he'd be old, he'd be really old, and he'd be really white, and he'd have a white beard. He'd be like Sean Connery, but instead of Sean Connery, it's Charles Bronson and Wesley Snipes. Like, take all my fucking money. I mean, that's just right. Well, I mean, he. I, I guess technically he could have. Um, at the yeah, end of his career, I mean, he, Rising Sun came out before Death Wish Five. He was 71, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got to tell you something embarrassing real quick. I, um, in math class, and right. I want to say it was 11th grade, I did, yeah. uh, I did a chart. Um, you had to, it was a project, you had to pick some sort of analytical chart, something like that. I did box office performance, and I had to balance out the ratios of how many theaters a movie was in and how much it made per screen and stuff like that. This is before they told wow. you online. <laughs> and I remember being very giddy when I got to talk about, hey, Death Wish 5, The Faces of Death, is only released on 270 screens, but the per screen average was, and everybody just looked at me like, what is he talking about? <laughs> yeah. 
That's beautiful, man. That <laughs> Open really up against is. House Party 3. I always remember that. <laughs> yeah. Man, Death Wish 5. The face of death. You know, Charles Bronson, for, you know, Ch- Charles Bronson is at his, it's one of those few actors is at his best when he doesn't say a fucking word, right? When he doesn't say a damn yeah. thing The more dialogue, all, right? the worst. When he says things like, I like chicken, I'm like, did you need to say anything? Don't say I like chicken. <laughs> like, he's best with those little, he's almost like Arnold Schwarzenegger in a lot of ways, even though he's more intelli- intelligible. <laughs> um, as as uh, than uh, than Arnold sometimes, but he um, he really is at his all time best when he has very little to say or or a smart like comeback, you know like the the classic scene from uh, a few which Death Wish it was I think it was two, no it might have been three, you know the the punks are there and he goes would you you know mind getting off that car he goes what you what you know what the fuck should we do that he goes it's my car you know oh yeah that's part three. <laughs> Part three, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was, um, you know, he's really at his best. Charles Bronson has always been at his best when he's, like, silenced. Like, they yeah. talked about, I remember, um, oh, mate, the dude, <laughs> I, I hope that's true. Do you believe that's true that James Lipton wrote the, the theme song for Thundercats? I, darn it, I know who wrote that. Uh... You know who wrote so Damn it! It's it's uh, I almost certain it's it's Thundercats. The kid, uh, Mick Fleetwood's godson, he did that song, uh, Uptown Funk. You know that one? Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Where right. He did yeah, it with yeah. the. Oh my god, I'm so terrible with music. I want to remember this Uptown Funk. I'm gonna have to look this up, but I'm pretty sure he wrote the theme song. Who did you think wrote the, <laughs> wrote the theme song? I, I I read I read an internet thing. Which just proves again, folks, you shouldn't believe what's on the internet. That James Lipton of Inside the Actors Studio was oh responsible. Oh my god! Okay, I haven't heard that one. Song. TV Legends. Yeah. Did James Lipton really write the Thundercats theme song? Yeah. Uh, was by a man named Bernie Hoffer. I don't know who the hell that is. Well, I'm, I'm gonna look this up yeah. because I know for a fact that the kid from Uptown Funk wrote some theme song to a kid. How did we get here? <laughs> How did we get to this? Yeah. No, no, no. Was, Mark yeah, Ronson. Was, was, uh, Mark Ronson. His dad was a big musician guy, and when he was a kid, he helped write. Okay, keep talking. I'm gonna look this up. Yeah. Anyway, so we got here. We got to James Lipton and Thundercats because um, James Lipton once uh, in an interview with I think it was Clint Eastwood, uh, or could have been Morgan Freeman. It was one of the two. And no, it was Morgan Freeman, and he said that there are the great the the actors that he admires greatly. This is James Lipton, are the ones that do so much with silence, right? Where you can they don't have to say any dialogue. You can see the cogs working, right? You can see something go on behind those eyes. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he said he said that Morgan Freeman was good at it. Clint was good at it. De Niro is fucking the master of it. Um, but for my money, Bronson was also really really good at it. You know, and it is evident from it is evident from his uh, character in. Once Upon a Time in the West, where he really doesn't have very much dialogue anyway. Um, so, yeah, he's just got... He's all steely steely glares and and uh, sort of subtle movements. And I think that I think that served 
Charles Bronson really well, and I think when he went aw- tried to go away from that and and talk like regular people, um, <laughs> I just it just I don't know it it killed some of the magic, you know. Um, you you are correct in that. I want to say real quick. I looked this up, and there's an argument on Reddit between who wrote it, James Lipton or Mark Ronson, writing the theme song to Thundercats, and it said you guys are wrong. Is actually credited to uh, Jules Bass and that guy I said earlier, Brian Heffer, whatever his name was. So neither one of us was right. All right. Yeah, it's uh, Charles Bronson. There's a lot of things that did damage to his career. First off, having to work with his wife. And he would turn down roles. I wish I could find... I, I should read that book, Bronson's Loose, because apparently it lists all the movies that uh, he turned down because they wouldn't let him work with his wife. And then two, right, right. the fact that he just didn't want to do that much dialogue. And three, yeah. just, you know, too many flops. I, I like some of the stuff. White Buffalo is very interesting. Um, Telephone is very interesting. But you know, like most actors, it just wanes. You know, it's almost inevitable that some actor has a dip and it just it depends on if you can get back from that dip. Yeah, that's true. And he really, I mean, as an actor gets older and, you know, I mean, I think I think Canon, I'm not going to say Canon ruined him, but Canon sort of, Canon put him on this pedestal that I don't think he was comfortable sitting on. But he kind of, he's the weird thing, he enjoyed the perks of being on it sort of thing, right? Like the whole Rolls Royce to drive him 20 feet or whatever it was, you know, 20 yards or 50 yards to the set or something, you know. I mean, that can that can really ruin that can ruin actors that kind of treatment because after a while they start to believe their own bullshit, you know. Yeah, uh-huh. and then their their uh, ego gets out of control. <laughs> yeah, kind of what happened to M. Night Shyamalan, you know what I mean? I was thinking Bruce Willis. Really? Bruce? Yeah, yeah, showing up, just doing like one or two days on all these directed video movies, getting his paycheck. I guess he gets a million dollars a day, and he can. Get, but it's just so lazy. He doesn't even care about his performances anymore. It's a real bummer. Yeah, oh, yeah. Bruce, yeah, I have, you know, I don't know. Bruce Willis, for me, kind of checked out a, a long time ago. I think yeah. once they started doing like Die Hard Four, I really like four. Five. It's five. I cannot remember five. All right, the one with the sun. Yes. You know they're in trouble. Oh, you know, you know they're scratching the barrel when they bring a sun into it. Um, <laughs> it's like bringing in, it's like bringing in a baby on a sitcom when its ratings are failing. It's true. It's like the third Mummy film. Like I was really starting to like that series, you know, with the Mummy and then the Mummy Returns. And then the curse of the dragon fucking emperor was just a big pile of shit. I'm sorry to say, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but you know because and then they've got a kid. You know, like, yeah. Always when they bring in a kid, it was yeah. just like. But it never happened. It never happened with Charles Bronson. That's the thing is maybe it's because he always skewed to a certain audience. It wasn't until after his deal with Canon is when he started to make, like, TV movies and he did, like, uh, Virginia, There is a Santa Claus, stuff like that, Family of Cops, things like that. He was always kind of that solo, uh, because, you know, everybody he was near died. (laughs) Every movie. Don't be friends with Charles Bronson movie people because you're going to die. Yeah. I like The Seawolf. Do you like The Seawolf? Yeah, I've... Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. That actually was a pretty good performance. Have you seen The Seawolf? Yeah, it was a TNT movie with Christopher Reeve, right? Yeah, no, it's got, uh, who was in it? There was, Mark Singer was in it, Catherine Mary uh, from The Last Starfighter. Yeah, 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 okay. The Girlfriend, yeah, Christopher was in it. 
uh, Clive Ravel. Yeah, uh, so let's yeah. go through his filmography real quick, though, and just kind of like how we feel about each one of them. Um, so we obviously already talked about Death Wish 2. For me, it's sleazy, uh, but I know it saved his career and it launched canon. How do you feel about it? Death Wish 2? Yeah. Um, I think I think it was... I th- I th- Mm, I think, I think, I think, I think, I think. <laughs> you want to right, come back? What do, I really, what do I really think? No, I really think that it's, um, <laughs> Canon was always, you know, famous for like a really cheap follow-up movie of stuff that they got a hold of. Yeah. Exterminator <laughs> 2, anyone? To, to, to me, because the first one was so good, right? I really loved the first one. Yes. So the second one felt like a, just a cheap – it felt like a cheap sequel. Oh, yeah. It felt like yeah. a Roger Corman movie. There's no budget. Yeah. It's all spent on yeah. Charles Bronson. It's like they it's, paid him $1.5 million, yeah. and I bet you it cost maybe two, two and a half at most. It's, it's kind of it's – kind of, I feel the same way with that movie, the same way I feel about uh, Quest for Peace, Superman 4, right? They took, they took Superman – like three wasn't that great. I don't hate three, but four, they fucked it. They just, oh, they rolled it over and, and buggered it senseless, and that was the end of it, and, and that was the end of it for a long time. Um, so, yeah, so that's kind of, I'm, I'm not saying because I like three. That's the that's the, that's the the weird thing. I think three is fun. Um, but then again, I like four, three out of, the, out of the Thor movies, right? Yeah. So it was the first time in a long time, like a third installment in these types of films was actually a better a better film than the second one, you know what I mean? What, what was the one that he did after that? Is that the slasher one? Midnight? No, Murphy's Law. No, I, th- I thought that's the one where he hunted the college uh, slasher. Why am, why am I forgetting the name? We just said it like 10 minutes ago. Something Midnight, right? 10 Past Midnight. 10, past uh, ten to Midnight. 10 yeah. to Midnight. Oh, yeah, sorry. After, yeah, after Death Wish 2, yeah. Yeah, I like yeah. that one. That one's a different uh, change of pace for him. That one fits almost more in line with Kinjite and uh, uh, Messenger of Death because it's more restrained. Yeah, yeah, and it's not – I mean, um, Bronson was also good in these movies when they were <clears throat> sort of hard-edged, right? There was no sort of – I mean, there there is some – levity if you want to call it but they are they are played straight there's no you like he doesn't walk out in the street with a bazooka and take people out and stuff like <laughs> but that. that's what i love about part three uh, i love death wish yeah. so much <laughs> yeah because you know so so he is he is good he is good in he is good in both respects because he's good in like 10 to midnight and movies like that because of the the steely-eyed glare sort of thing but the kind of dry um the the sort of dry way that he delivers a line yeah or the very you know it's my car you know right um, does 10 does till midnight feel more like a dirty hairy script that it get used yeah it's kind of like the scorpio so. killing of the first dirty harry i thought that was very similar i wonder how many scripts were written for the yeah. dirty harry movies over the years and they were used for something else yeah. Well, it's funny we were talking about Bruce Willis and Die Hard because you you know that Die Hard, uh, what Die Hard with a Vengeance was not a Die Hard movie. No, it was supposed Did to be a sequel to Rapid Fire, right? Simon yeah, Sanders? that's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. So I think I think there I think there's a way like a lot of those movies that 
they've got repurposed like hey this is this could be like a a Die Hard movie or this could be like a, a Death Wish movie or this could be like a you know some other vehicle because it's got a cop in you know it's yeah. got the key elements it's got it's got a hero cop trying to clean up the streets you know it's it's very formulaic but you know we watch them because you know people it's like Marvel movies like it's he's a good color he's a good analogy right so you've got you've got cop it's like it's like Steven Seagal movies as well we've talked about Steven before now they're all the same they're like Adam Sandler movies they are essentially all the same movie right right it's, there's a formula it's this, yeah it's this character goes on a journey learns about himself gets the girl kills the bad guy save the day right it's 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 real simple stuff um, but you watch them because each time round uh, there's always, you know, there's always the joy, like, if you're a fan of Charles Bronson, there's always the joy of seeing a Charles Bronson movie, like, it's always sad when a star dies and think, you know, particularly if they were still working or they hadn't quite signed off yet, and you just sit there and think there will never be another Charles Bronson movie, we will never see him in a, in a new movie ever again. You know what's sad um, is I remember and, when they were talking about in his obituary that he didn't even know because he had Alzheimer's. That he didn't even know that he was a movie star towards the end. He had no idea who he was, you know, who he was to people. Like he had been in Death Wish and all this stuff. He had no clue, and it's really sad. Yeah, it's so sad. The same thing happened to Charlton Heston. Right? Oh yeah, and Jen Michael Vincent. He didn't know. Yeah, that's so that's so sad to like have to have had this whole uh, and so many people like so, such fans of of your work and whatever, and even being an influence outside of that. I mean. Tarantino, have you seen that Once Upon a Time in America? I haven't. Yet? I never go to the movies anymore. Not Once Upon a Time in America. What is it? Hollywood. Once, Once Upon a Time, time yeah. Yeah. So I said Once Upon a Time in America. Um, have you? No, you haven't seen it. Anyway, nah. but Tar- Tarantino in the early Tarantino movies, you know, some, you know, there was always a line like, "Some you got to watch out because some fucker is always going to be Charles Bronson." Thinks he's Charles Bronson. Oh right, right. right. Uh, man, he. He, Charles Bronson, the Death Wish, uh, Paul Kersey is is really you could say like uh, an '80s version of what Liam Neeson would become Definitely. in the in the Taken movies. You know what I mean? Yes, totally. I was just watching um, uh, the Commuter, and I just kept thinking, "Wow, if this script was 20 years ago or 30 years ago, it would have been Charles Bronson." Because Liam Neeson, I think, That's is a little more highbrow, and he's a better actor. Yeah, but like, wouldn't you love to? Wouldn't yeah. you love to see that? Would you love to see that cold pursuit with Charles Bronson? I haven't seen that one yet. Right. I didn't get around to watch oh, that. Yeah. But I was thinking that like oh, yeah. Jason, oh. St- Jason Statham is basically our Charles Bronson now, not Liam. He is. Well, he is. He mm-hmm. is. Yeah. Oh, Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson's like the older Charles Bronson was to us now. Yeah, I guess because he was like, older like when he became a star. So I guess you're right. Liam Neeson. Yeah, still so it's like. Yeah, he's like the old Charles Bronson, and and like Jason Statham is like the young Chuck Norris, like a cross. <laughs> yeah, like a, he's like a cross between like I don't know Steve McQueen and Chuck Norris, yeah, and something like that. But yeah, both but better they're, they're, actors, they're, 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 honestly. But I'll say Charles Bronson is a much better actor than Chuck Norris. But it also makes me a little depressed. It doesn't seem like Ch- uh, Charles Bronson was trying as hard as Chuck. You could kind of see Chuck through the years evolving as an actor. Not very well, but he was trying new things. 
But, you know, I don't think Charles Bronson... Did he ever do a comedy? I think From Noon to Three might be a comedy, but he just... He seemed like he was stuck in the same thing. Yeah, no, I don't think Charles ever did, like, an out-and-out sort of... Uh-huh. Yeah. Sort of comedy. He did do the Buddy like he, movie, though, with uh, Murphy's Law. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, even then, it's kind of... You know, it's it's Charles Bronson humor. It's not Charles Bronson trying to be funny, you yeah. know what I mean? That, uh, He's not... That was what his last big hit was Murphy's Law. I keep want to see Murphy's Romance. That'd been really weird. Sally Field and yeah. Charles Bronson in Murphy's Romance. <laughs> yeah. The, uh... Yeah, no... The look of Murphy's Law is what I love. What I don't like is that they got a talented actress uh, like Catherine Wilhoyt. I don't know how you say her name correctly, but all they do is give her one-liners, and it gets real, real fast. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and ironically, we we're talking about Tarantino before. Lawrence Tierney was in uh, was in that movie as well, and he would be in Tarantino's uh, not his first movie because he made that Best Friend's Birthday or whatever it was, but um, Reservoir Dogs. Um, Lawrence Tierney was also in uh, in Murphy's Law as well. So yeah, do you like the comic so, book quality of Death Wish Three? Because that's why I think I like it. It almost feels like it's straight out of a Punisher comic because it's just that extra step beyond reality. I do. It's the it's the Thor Ragnarok of the Death Wish movies. <laughs> it, really. <is. laughs> it really is the Thor Ragnarok of the Death Wish movies. It really is. It um it is so far out there um it's almost like you it's almost like how you would if you would it's almost like if you had a big charles bronson marathon and then smoked some really good weed and had a and had a dream about you as charles bronson and you go through a, how, how you would go through a death wish movie that's what death wish 3 is yeah it's I like, mean, it had a video game and it kind of has that mentality yeah, because it's like, it is so cool, it's so much fun, it's over the top, it is, yeah, hands down, like, Thor Ragnarok didn't used to exist, so I could say this, but I can say now it is the Thor Ragnarok of uh, <laughs> of the Death Wish movies, yeah. really, it is, beautiful, beautiful thing. I really think that um, it would pair very well with Exterminator 2, because it also has that cartoony quality. Yeah, oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, that's a great night in that one. Yeah, that and Exterminator too. Yeah, they just have that great... You know, again, it's like it's like if the Asylum and Canon Pictures had had a love affair. Yeah, um, well, it's also a little you know, bit... Of, I feel that, like there's a little bit of Frank Miller uh, inspiration, you know, the way he did Dark Knight Returns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, like, there's, there, there's definitely that, you know, that dripping... Sort of, you know, it's sticky, like sweet, like honey, like, you know, yeah. it really is just a beautiful, you know, it's one of those just movies you have so much fun watching because yeah. it's, well, it's, it's also, uh, they it's, spent more money. They spent more money than any of the, the Death Wish movies, you know, $8 million budget yeah. shot in London, which also adds a extra strange quality to it because like his perception. Now, is Michael Winner um, a British director? Yeah, he was. Yeah. Okay. Michael that makes this all yeah. makes much more sense now is his view of what American culture might be in 1985. Yeah, and again, anyone who's watched um, the Electric Boogaloo documentary learns that Michael Winner was an absolute bastard, like a hands down card carrying bastard, and he treated actors like shit. And the only person whose arsy kiss I think was Charles Bronson's. Huh. Um, that, that's 
that's not con- that's not confirmed. Um, <laughs> but uh, from what we from what we know, and certainly what actors recollect, he was just an out and out um, borderline sadist. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> So, so maybe that says a lot about his, his contribution to the Death Wish. Yeah, well, and, and that's the last time they worked together, right? This is when he decided to lock in with Jay Lee Thompson for the rest of his career. Pretty much, yeah. So, and and I mean, like I like Death Wish Four went a completely different way. Like the Death Wish, just the Death Wish movies. If we were just talking about those Death Wish movies. They go from like a, a pretty solid, what you call almost like a, a French connectiony sort yeah, of yeah claustrophobic thriller. You almost. know, yeah. So you go from this really sort of contained, tight uh, movie to two, which is which is very yeah. Again, it's the cheap, you know, <laughs> it's that awkward second album. Um, and yeah, and then you've got three, which is like a firecracker. It's like a bottle rocket flies real high, real fast, explodes brilliantly, and then is gone. And then you've got the crackdown, which is kind of like it goes back. Oh, we need to recapture the seriousness of of, <laughs> of earlier episodes. Yeah, it's the most mainstream of the sequels, I think. This is the one that's most accessible to people who don't like drive-in style grindhouse movies this is more legit yeah this is like okay if we were if we were doing this for a proper if we were <laughs> if we were if we were legitimate filmmakers you know, let's let's make something you know and then of course the the last one faces of death is kind of like what is it like it's like lethal weapon I don't know. It's like the it's, last lethal weapon. Yeah, this is when they really ran out of money. I think it was done for like two and a half, maybe three million, shot in Canada. And yeah. it still has a revenge aspect, but it almost feels like a TV movie version of Lethal Weapon, Die Hard, or not Die Hard, a Dirty Harry kind of thing going. It's not as bad as part two, but it is definitely restrained. There's not that trashy quality to it. Yeah, and it's... When I said the last, like the last lethal, lethal Weapon movie, I mean it's kind of like, you know, this is going to be the last one. Right. You can, there's everything, everything about it smells like this is the end, right? <laughs> Paul Kersey is retiring, right? So it'd be like Liam Liam Neeson would have to have done like another three Taken movies. Oh right? God, no! <laughs> All right, he he would have he would have had to have been doing Taken Six, right? Taken again. <laughs> You've taken my right. wallet. I I have special skills to get my wallet. <laughs> yeah, I, I I I don't know who you are, but I'm gonna find you, and um, it's I don't know how, but I will, and uh, I'll come after you with lots of uh, barbarians and dragons. <laughs> right? That's when they jump the shark, like <laughs> CGI monsters yeah. and everything like that. He you no, know, it's taking yeah. my aliens from outer space. Yeah, it's like taken. Yeah, it's taken. It's taken in outer space. Yeah, that's of course. That's the that's the only way it can go. And if Death Wish had have gone on, you got to think Charles Bronson in space, Death Wish in space. Um, that would have been like so dopey, fantastic. Like I take all my money right now. Um, you know, I think there's something in that Death Wish in space. <laughs> I, I totally, I totally hope. I'm not a fan. I'm not. Spaces of death. Spaces of death. Yeah. yeah. You know, in, in, you know, 
Um, I'm not a card-carrying fan at all of the Fast and the Furious movies, oh. but I, I, to- I totally hope they do Fast and the Furious in space. Huh. I think that would be so balls-out hilarious. Um, <laughs> Speaking of unused scripts from earlier, I watched the movie called Overdrive with Scott Eastwood, and I am almost certain that was a script for one of the Fast and Furious movies back when it was just Paul Walker coming back. It feels... Right. It's from the guys who wrote Part 2, and it almost feels like they wrote a Part 3, and the studio changed their mind and gave them back their script. I don't know if you've seen that movie. No, no, what's it called? Overdrive? It's not bad. It's, a uh, uh, yeah, from the guys that did Wanted and uh, Tokyo Drift. Or, no, 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 Too Fast, Too Furious. They produced it. Right. It's uh, Pierre Morel, the director of uh, Taken. They produced this together. They tried to build their own mini-studio, and the movie, um, even though it has, like, theatrical quality, like, special effects and action sequences, straight to video. Yeah. Really? Yeah, and they must have just not been able to sell it, since they're not big names. I don't know. I'll send you a link. Clint Eastwood sums in it. Yeah. All right, cool. I liked him in, in, what was it, the the second Pacific Ring movie. You know, I just bought that. I haven't seen it yet. I'm going to watch that. Yeah, it's good. I liked. I personally liked the twist at the end. There's a twist. Oh, don't tell me. Do not tell me. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So uh, the the last. What's that? Bruce Willis is a Bruce Willis is a ghost. I knew it. Um, Yeah, dies with Ted all the time. (laughs) He was in the robot. Uh, The last two. The last two movies that basically he did for Canon was uh, like um, like I said, Messenger of Death, which I think is a. Um, it's a weird, like, political mixed with religion thriller. He's like a reporter, right? He's not a cop. Yeah, yeah. He's like, yeah, he's a, he's one of those old-fashioned, like, city beat reporters, you know, the city beat guy, you know? Like, yeah. uh, like Clark Kent was. Clark Kent did the city beat. Um, yeah. Oh, that was good. Street Smart is phenomenal. That's one of the best canon pictures they've ever done. Yeah, totally. Yeah, no, he's, um... He did like, and and then of course Kinjite for me. I have a weird, I don't know what it is I have with that movie. It's like to me, it's like, it's like a bookend performance for Bronson. In it is, but it's um, also kind of a bookend for that studio. Isn't that the last movie that Golan Globus did together before uh, Monaco was think, forced out? I, I think so. I think so. I yeah. think that's the, the, well, I think that's the yeah. I think it is the final album of Coffin. Um, but yeah, and for me, it was a bookend. Uh, always will be a book. I, I thought it was great how he was the father in in Indian Runner, but um, uh, for me the, that's like that's like the end of an era. That's the end of a Bronson era yeah. right there. That's the end of that. Even though he would go on and do, um, you know, play. A, I mean, he can't help but play a similar character. But that was like the last time he played it that well. Yeah, well, it's the last time he had a theatrical release where he was the lead, you know, instead of a support or doing TV movies. And it's, you know, it's funny is I always think of this era always being on TNT. I don't know if you guys even have TNT over there, but it was always like Friday nights, it's Monster Vision with Joe Bob Riggs, and Saturday, it's Bronson Vision all week long, Bronson. Yeah, yeah. No, we didn't. I, I, I did eventually get to see uh, some uh, TNT and of course Joe Bob Briggs later on um, but uh, you know it, it is like I mean television over here used to do like a week long you know 
it's, you know, it's a death, it's Death Wish week, right? And they play all the Death Wish movies every night, you know. Or they do, you know, usually sometimes if there was, I remember when Kinjite was coming out in cinemas here, and they did like a one channel did a run of Charles Bronson movies. Like I think they started off with like. Uh, Once Upon a Time of the West, The Great Escape, Death Wish, and they kind of just sort of did, did like a week long of Bronson films leading up to, you know, the theatrical release of, you know. Yeah. So yeah, so so I guess that kind of, that's kind of why why I like that movie. It's it's why I still have the poster because it's the last time I went to the cinema to see a, a Charles Bronson movie. Yeah. Um, oh my god, we, so, just, we yeah. forgot one. We forgot actually an important one, the last movie that he got to do with his wife, Assassination. That's right, Assassination, 1987. Sorry, I didn't want to interrupt you. I was thinking about how they always had really good posters. Every single last one of those Chuck Norris movies had amazing posters. And you're right, Kinchite is a really solid one, but I was thinking probably the best one, even though it's probably his worst, was Assassination. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, again, you know, it, it wasn't, I mean... I can't say it's one of my. Oh, it's not one of my favorite Charles Bronson movies, but I mean, it's not. It's not bad. It's not. You know, <clears throat> it's 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 better. It's better than some. Yeah. It's better than some. You know, I mean, there's there's all kinds of you know there's I mean again we're talking about a very specific era, uh, Charles Bronson. We're not talking seventies Charles Bronson, and we're certainly not talking, um, you know. 60s Charles Bronson. Uh, so you know it's 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 80 it's 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 80s Charles Bronson. You know nothing I like mean, it. You can, Absolutely nothing yeah, like you, it. You can you can have your you can have your favorites throughout an entire career, or you can uh, or you can love certain eras of of a guy's work. Um, but yeah, everyone. But I mean Charles Bronson, like I said, sort of the top of the conversation is like. For, to me, the '80s era is kind of when you talk to people about Charles Bronson, it's like the era that they skip, right? It's like you know, oh, he was great in the '60s and the '70s, and he did some movies in the '80s and then he died. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, he did those Death Wish movies, you know, those horrible Death Wish movies. Um, but yeah, but it was it was still kind of like the swan song of a guy who really, um, you know, if if he were if he were an actor today, you know, would if Charles Bronson came around today, and it's weird. Have you seen that guy who's doing those movies? Yeah, that that's fucking strange. Yeah, and they literally have Charles Bronson titles, you know, like literally Charles Bronson titles. Um, I haven't seen any of them yet. I want to. Yeah, I wonder but, if the guy's yeah. terrible, if he's just being cast based on his looks and not so much because it's like, uh, what is it, Jim Hanks in Buford's Beach Bunnies. So I saw the word Hanks, Frank Stallone, you know, that kind of thing where, yeah, right, you got yeah. a guy who looks like him or has a name similar to him, but no. Yeah, so that's, I mean, I haven't seen any of those films yet, but I'm interested. I might watch one of them first. Just see if, you know, before I go out and commit myself to a man's entire catalogue. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's, uh, you know, I just want to check it out because, I mean, holy crap. I was like, what did they do? Is this like, is this, 
who is this? Is this Charles Bronson's like long lost son? Who is he? <laughs> he looks exactly like Charles Bronson. I thought, is this like someone's made like a bad mask or something? And like they just because <laughs> it's it's definitely not a beautiful sort of multi million dollar CGI restoration. No, Charles and Bronson. it's just sad if you're gonna look like any famous <laughs> actor. Oh, yeah. Charles Bronson is a rough one. Yeah, and I mean. That's that's the kind of thing you would reserve for something like, like Taken Six, right? Taken in space, Taken to space, right? Um, <laughs> and you get it, it's it's they spend they spend the most money they've ever spent on the Taken series. They spend a hundred and fifty million dollars, and they CGI re, they they like they did Moff Tarkin in. Rogue One, they bring back Charles Bronson to play Liam Neeson's dad. Um, <laughs> you could do this. Theoretically, you could pull this off. I watched I, Tanya and Margot Robbie's face is um, CGI'd onto top, on top of the uh, skater's face for a good part of the movie. And if I wasn't uh, like knowledgeable of how CGI works, I don't, I don't think I would have caught it. Like A normal person probably doesn't see it. Yeah, well, my his the compliment to Rogue One is the is my wife. She goes when she came out of Rogue One, she goes, "I thought Peter Cushing was dead." <laughs> he said, "It's actually a compliment." Wow. Yeah, so she goes, she goes, "I thought that Peter Cushing was dead. How old is he?" And I'm just like, I said, "No, no, he is dead, baby." She said, "Well, that guy looks a heck of a lot like him." <laughs> and I said, "No, no, it was special effects." And she's like, "Ah, oh, shit, really?" I said, "She's that's." That's really good. I really thought it was the guy. <laughs> so there you go. All right. Um, so so well, that would be just awesome. Yeah. Taken to, to space, Liam Neeson, Charles Bronson, CGI returns as his father. Um, <laughs> see it. See uh, it this weekend. Coming to a theater near you. Rated R. Um, all right. So to wrap this episode up real quickly, I want to say Canon Pictures is like the king of promising movies. And they never delivered. Uh, I think it's notorious that Charles Bronson was supposed to start a movie called The Golem, which we've never seen anything besides a poster for. But also, he was supposed to star with the person in our next episode, Chuck Norris in The Delta Force. Yeah, wouldn't that have been cool? It would have, but I gotta tell you, Lee Marvin, man, he sells that sucker. I can't wait to talk about Delta Force in the next episode. Yeah, I can't wait to talk about Chuck Norris. And even though, and, and I'm even I'm even gonna spend like a good few minutes, maybe two minutes, maybe ten minutes talking about sidekicks, even though it's got nothing to do with anything else we're talking about. Yeah, I gotta but watch I like, that one again. Sidekicks is fantastic. Like, but it does formula, it does no, it is connected though if you think about it because it goes back and relates to movies that Canon produced. Yeah, and it also harkens, uh, you know, there's there's crossover there. Um, with the seasonal film universe with the ghost of Bruce Lee coming back to hurt Kurt, help Kurt McKinney no retreat no surrender it's fantastic <laughs> I think they should really be I see there's another movie there's I see there's another movie I, I've got plans for like a, a, a guy to come back from the dead or either he meets his hero in real life and he teaches him kung fu and and helps him win a tournament and he becomes you know, the Karate Kid or something in space with Liam Neeson and Charles Bronson. I got endless ideas for movies. Oh my god, um, this is gonna be crazy. Speaking of, since we're talking about you creating things, what do you want to play before we go? 
Uh, Buck and Sugar Plum is the new book. It's out on Kindle, coming soon to audio and paperback. It is the second greatest love story ever told. Um, it's kind of like a dirty Princess Bride. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, with, it's Princess Bride with potty humour um, or toilet humour. Um, <laughs> I've got uh, the final instalment, talking about instalments, VOD. Straight to Video 4, a collection of the authors that you've known and enjoyed from the Straight to Video uh, book series that I've done. It also features commentary from uh, Ua Bowl and um, Charlie Haas, who wrote Gremlins 2. Uh, my friend Matt Greenberg, who uh, wrote the newest Pet Cemetery movie. Um, Tony Caden, who wrote a movie that I absolutely love that no one even cares about, is Slipstream that stars Mark oh, Hamill. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Which I've grown the... to love. I actually was so bored when I saw it when I was like 12, but I saw it a yeah. couple years ago. I was like, oh, no, I get this movie now. It's actually better than people treated yeah. it. Yeah, I, I did an interview with Tony and have become good friends with Tony since that interview. Yeah. Where um, do you do these interviews? Was, ah. Yeah, because it was a ton of great insights. Um, on uh, on Slipstream. Yes, and apart from that, you can check me out on Podcast Them Softly. Coming up on Podcast Them Softly, I've got uh, my lunch date that I had with Immortan Joe. Uh, what a fabli- fabulous interview that was. Stories about Dennis Hopper um, and, and Mad Max. It's all good stuff. I've also got uh, coming up, Russell Mulcahy and I sit down to talk about the shadow. I can't believe I be thought really... he was dead. I cannot. We talked about this before. Someone told me he died, or I read it somewhere on the internet, and I thought he was dead for a very long time. You brought this up last year, and I'm like, oh, dude, I thought he right. died. And you're like, no. I was like, oh, my God, this whole time. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Russell. Yeah, Russell. Look, yeah. What's funny, Russell found the article and posted it on his Facebook page. Um, you know. Okay, like, so I wasn't like, imagining hey, it. I, I did not make that up. <laughs> No, 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 because Russell, I remember Russell actually, I think, posted someone, 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 either someone shared it on his Facebook page or he posted it, but either way, he found out about it and he was like, holy crap, you know, does that mean I don't have to pay taxes? Um, <laughs> you know, that should, be, that should be a loophole, honestly. Yeah, it's just like, you know, he's like, um, yeah, he's like Nick Fury at the end of, uh, of uh, Winter Soldier, you know, <laughs> you know, anyone needs to find me, he goes to the graveyard, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, so yeah, it's great, but uh, yeah, so Russell and I, uh, talking about uh, The Shadow next weekend to celebrate the Blu-ray release, um, finally, uh, I already got it on Blu-ray from the States, but for all the people that don't do that, uh, Blu-ray of The Shadow, Umbrella Entertainment is finally releasing a beautiful Blu-ray edition of The Shadow. Here down under, Russell Mulcahy and I talking about it next weekend on Podcast Them Softly. Uh, thanks for having me again, Michael. No problem. Everybody check us out on Facebook under uh, Video Night Podcast. You'll find all the episodes of Video Night there and this spin-off, Trash Cinema. And Kent, thank you for another great episode. Thank you, mate. All right. See you next time with Chuck Norris. Yeah.